0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different.
1: Now today is really exciting because over the last few years we've done something called 5 for 5 or 6 for 6, and this year we're doing 6 for 6. And uh, what we do is... Each of our staff members that that are speaking, they get a different point to share in the message, and they all have a certain amount of time to share it in. So for this weekend, uh, six people get six minutes each to share uh, a part of their message. And there's a countdown on the screen in the lower corner. Uh, You might see it right now. Uh, And that countdown will tell you how long they've got. So it'll be counting down throughout the service. And when they get to zero, no matter where they're at, there is going to be a loud alarm that will go off that will signify that they are done preaching. And uh, so we've got six of our staff doing that today. And I'm actually gonna start you off and then we'll move on from there. But I'm excited to share with you today my portion of the Six for Six. Today, I wanna talk to you about our vision statement. Our vision statement is every life made different. And that might be something you've seen on signage or heard us talk about from time to time. But I wanna take a minute and just talk about, actually six minutes, and talk to you about uh, what that really means and what that looks like for us. Uh, This isn't something we came up with randomly. We prayed about it a few years ago, and we feel like God kind of led us to this. And and I wanna share this with you. Uh, These words were crafted specifically for this vision we feel like God has given us. The first word, every, is really important because we feel like God values and loves every single person. There's a passage in Hebrews 2, 9, and it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone." What we see here is that Christ paid the price, the one and for all price, for every person, for all history. So what we have to understand is, it's our responsibility to tell people about that, to share the good news that Jesus has paid the death, that that paid the price through his death, for everyone. So what we have to do is have the eyes of Christ and see that every single person, every single life, every individual has value and importance to God. And if that's important to God, then it needs to be important to us as well. So what we endeavor to do as a church is to value every single person that comes through our church, to love them well, no matter what they may drive, no matter what their background may be, and to make sure that if God values them, we value them as well, because every life is important to God. So every single person, no matter who they are and no matter how old they are, is important to God. What well, we see, too, in the second word is life. Um, we feel like this is what everything is about because so many people are breathing in and out, but they're not experiencing true life in Christ. And what we want to do is to help them experience something radically different than they ever have before. Uh, there's a story in Luke chapter 19 uh, about Jesus, and he's going about his business, and he notices a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector named Zacchaeus, and he climbs up in a tree because he's a very short man. He climbs up in this tree to see Jesus, to get you a glimpse of him. And Jesus notices him. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, you need to come down and go get ready because I'm going to your house today. And according to the old songs I used to sing when I was a kid, I used to think it was going to your house for tea. But he wasn't going for tea. He was going today. So he would go to Zacchaeus' house, and they hung out together. And we don't know all the things that happened that day, but what we do see is because of his interaction with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was radically changed from who he was. He was a tax collector who worked with the romans against the jews and he would rip off the jewish people he would rip off his countrymen so he was hated and derided by his countrymen but that day because of an experience with jesus christ his life was made different he said to jesus he said i'm going to give half of everything i have to the poor and anyone that i ripped off i'm going to give them four times what i took from them that is an actual response to salvation he was changed because of what jesus did his life mattered, his life was changed and transformed from that day forward because of what Jesus did. And what we endeavor to do is see every life made different. See, Zacchaeus had a lot of things, but he didn't have a true life. That day he he, encouraged, or he encountered true life in Christ Jesus. And that's what we endeavor to do as a church, to see every life made different. Everyone without Christ is lost, every single person. What well, we have to understand is that every person does truly matter to God. There's a passage in Romans 1:14 that says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And Paul is telling the Roman church this. And what he's saying is this word under obligation, the, the Greek word for this means um, to owe someone as a debt. And so what he's saying is, it is my debt. I owe it to lost people to share the gospel with them. And I want you to know today, church, if, if you uh, have debt, you're not free. Because every time you get a bonus, you have to pay some of that debt down. You're, you're thinking about it, it's weighing down on you. And we have a debt as believers, as the church, to make sure lost people hear about the gospel and understand that there is a Jesus who paid the price in his death for them. And the last word I would tell you about is different. Um, one of the first things I heard whenever I came to Summit is how different our church is. Uh, people started saying, man, I've never experienced a church like this. And we love that word different. And there's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 that says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that word new there, the Greek word for that is kainos, And what it really means is, as respects to form, recently made. So it means new, but it really means it is in regards to the substance, Um, something totally different, something unprecedented. And what I want you to know today is that when we come to faith in Christ, we're not just cleaned up a little bit, that he makes us something totally different. I've used this illustration before, uh, but a piece of baloney, if it's cleaned up, is still baloney. But what God does is he says, hey, uh, you might've been a piece of baloney before, but when you come to me, you're a ribeye. And uh, I'm speaking the language I know. I'm on keto and I love some meat. So I want you to know you're not baloney, your ribeye today in Christ Jesus, that you're not something that's just cleaned up. You're something never seen before. You're something unprecedented, different, new. And that's what Christ Jesus does in us. And that's why we exist, is to see every single life made different. And I want you to know, um, if you're here today and you're watching this video, that our vision for you, and I believe God's goal for you, is to see your life transformed for the glory of God. And we wanna help you do that. Hey, I'm really excited to introduce our next speaker, Pastor Kim Massingale. Welcome her to the stage right now.
2: Well, good morning. I get to talk about small groups today. So I was listening to a pastor speak on a leadership conference this last week, and he was telling this story of how he heard a story of a man who went to speak at this organization called Love in Action. And as he was sharing his story with these people in the room, um, one of the things he said was, hey, I, I had a really stressful week and I was really tempted to drive into a strip club this week. And hands started going up in the room. And he kept continuing to share his story, and more hands would continue to go up as he would share his story. And he was thinking, what is going on? Like, why are people raising their hands? I don't get it. And so, eventually, the director came up of the organization, and he said, hey, you look really, like, confused. What's, you know, what's going on? And he's like, well, I'm just really confused as to why people have their hands raised And he's like, well, we have this um, policy that if you have experienced or walked through or gone through any of the things that the speaker is sharing, you raise your hand to say, me too. You're not alone. And then the pastor decided to share this story that he had heard to his congregation in one of his sermons. And one of the worship team that was volunteer came forward to the worship pastor after hearing the sermon and said, hey, I've I've been having an affair, and I really feel like I need my community to come around me and walk me through this. He was super repentant, and he wanted to restore his marriage, and so he came forward with this news, and the worship pastor was like, okay, well, let's you know, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to tell the worship team. I want to gather our community and gather the worship team and tell them what I've done so they can help walk me through this and keep me accountable. So they gathered the worship team together, which was about 100 people. And and the worship pastor says, hey, so-and-so is going to be coming forward today. And he really feels like he wants to share something with you all. And We're going to love him through this, and we're going to support him. We're going to see his family restored. And the guy comes in, and he is super repentant and crying and just confessing what he has done. And as he's confessing, hands begin to go up of the volunteers, signifying that they have walked through something similar, overcome sin in their lives. And I just couldn't get away from that story because I don't know about you but I grew up in an environment where we put on our happy face and we acted like we had it all together and nothing changed and I want to be a part of a community that admits hey I need Jesus just as much as you do hey I'm walking through something and and you're not alone and I I need Jesus just as much as you do. See, at some point in your faith journey, you may have said that your faith is just between you and God, that it's a private thing. You don't want anyone in your business. And I've had people say to me, Kim, I come to church on Sundays and that's enough. I don't need anything else. But here's the deal. At some point, you will stall out on your faith. You will stop growing without others coming alongside of you because you can only go so far alone. See, godly community will help you go from a shallow faith where you can get knocked over by anything that will, and then move to a deeper faith that will sustain you in the biggest storms of life. And we want you to ultimately know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus and live that out. We want you to understand what it means to love others like Jesus and love them through their stuff. See, even in my smaller communities that I'm evolved in as a pastor, I get the questions asked to me. Kim, what, what did that sermon do? How, is, how are you applying that to your life? How are you really? How is your heart? I need those questions asked to me too. And see, when we get connected in authentic, godly community, transformation happens in our lives. Here's four things about godly community that I've learned. One, godly community requires intentionality. It doesn't just happen. Two, godly community requires vulnerability. I really believe that you'll only grow to the level that you're willing to be vulnerable. Number three, godly community will help guard, protect, and restore you. And so many of us have been in a place before where we've said, I don't know how I got here. But I believe if you really were to look at it, you may have continued to attend church, but you unplugged from the godly people in your life that would ask you the hard but loving questions. Number four, godly community gets that we is greater than me. We can do far more for the good of others and the glory of God together than we could ever do ourselves. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. God did not intend you to do life alone. Get plugged into community.
3: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ricky. I'm the youth pastor here. And today, this morning, I get to talk to you about why we do youth ministry. Why is it important? Our vision in summer youth is to connect students to God and each other. There are three areas in youth ministry that we do well on a Wednesday night. Number one is worship. Worship—it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. That's what—that's what—that's one of the areas we do well, and it's, wor- it's worship. Our students, our worship team—they do such a great job connecting our students to God during worship, setting the atmosphere of worship for our students. In Romans 12, 1, it says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In of youth, worship is not something we do. It's who we are. It's who we are, that's, I can say that for everyone in here, that's who we are, worship is not something we do, it's who we are, it's a lifestyle. Time after time, students walk through our doors, say that they can feel the presence of God during worship because it's a lifestyle. There were times where during worship, the God God showed up so thick and so heavy that I didn't even get a chance to preach because our students were engaged, they were going after God. I normally tell our students this, don't don't spectate, participate in worship. Because when we participate together, God shows up and he starts doing things. So number one was worship. Number two is this is preaching. In Matthew 28, 18, in the message version, it says this, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commissioned me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, Far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then instruct them in the practice all I've commanded you. I will be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of age. See, whether it's myself, my wife, or someone on staff, our students will get the word of God preached to them. Amen? They will get the word preached to them. It's not a hangout, it's not a social club, it's where they come and get the word of God. I tell our, I tell our leaders this, every Wednesday night before service in our meetings, we have 90 minutes to make an impact in a student's life. 90 minutes. You say, why 90 minutes? Because during the week, Monday, Monday they're probably not reading their Bible, Tuesday they're probably not reading their Bible, so Wednesday we have that 90 minutes to make an impact on a student's life. Then they have Thursday. So we, can, so we can challenge them through the rest of the week to get into the word of God. Because during the rest of the week, they're probably not engaged in their Bible. And we challenge them every, every Wednesday to stay connected in the word. See, some of youth, we offer two services for our students. We offer a junior high service and a high school service in one night. We divide them up. Why, because there are things that high school students that I, I can I can talk to the high school students on a level that's different from a junior high. There are topics that I can discuss with a high school students that I can't discuss with a junior high student. And let me tell you something, our high school students, they need to hear truth. They need to hear the truth because they're not gonna get the truth. Some of them are not gonna get the truth at home. I'm bold enough to say, you know what, I'm gonna tell you and it's probably gonna hurt. Mom and dad might not tell you, but I'm going to tell you the truth of why, it's, why, 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 why you shouldn't vape, why you shouldn't do this, why you shouldn't watch this on your phones. I'm going to tell you that. And at the end of the message, our students will be challenged. They will be challenged at the altars. They will be challenged to repent. They will be challenged to ask God for forgiveness. And number three is tribes, also known as small group. We call it tribes. I love this in verse 19. It says, go go out and train everyone you meet far and near." And our students are, trained, are, are engaged in their small groups with our leaders. And they get to connect to each other. They get, they get to connect to God and each other. Jeannie Mayo says this. She said this, a great, great leader, great youth um, pastor. She's been um, in youth ministry forever. She says this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. And we're trying to connect students to each other so they can have godly friendships, godly relationships. By students connecting with each other during small groups, it makes it easier for them to connect with each other when we go on retreats in youth camp. And one night that's coming up, if you guys see my shirt that says that, ask me about it, I can tell you later about it. (laughs) This is why youth ministry is important. This is why we do what we do to connect students to God and each other, so that every life will be made different. Amen. God bless.
4: Why, hello, you guys. My name is Christina Butterworth, and I am the children's pastor here at Summit. Are we ready? So we are going to dive into Deuteronomy really fast, and Deuteronomy is actually like Moses' farewell and his, you need to remember this, to the people of Israel, because he's been leading them for 40 years, and he's preparing to hand off leadership to Joshua. And so he's like, remember this when I'm not there. In Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4, the Lord your God has directed me to teach you his commands, rules, and laws. Obey them in the land you will take over when you go across the Jordan River. Then you, your children and their children after them will honor the Lord your God as long as you live. Obey all his rules and commands I'm giving you. If you do, you will enjoy long life. Israel, listen to me. Make sure you obey me, then things will go well with you. The number of your people will increase greatly in the land that has plenty of milk and honey. That's what the Lord your of your boop, boop. That's what the Lord, the God of your parents, promised you. Israel, listen to me. The Lord is our God. The Lord is the one and only God. Okay, so here's what Moses says over and over and over again. Obey, 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 obey God. He is the one and only God. Put him first, and he's going to take care of everything else. He's faithful to do it. And then he goes on to tell them, this actually needs to be in you. It's got to be in your heart, and it's got to be part of your everyday life. And you're to teach your kids to do this too, to obey God and to put him first. Because the truth is, you and I, we can put other things first really easily. Whether it's our families, our jobs, our hobbies, other things take priority over God. But you and I are called to honor God, to obey him, and to put him first. So um, my mom and dad loved God. And when we were kids, they also loved God then. And they wanted all of us to grow up and love God too. And so um, some of the ways they tried to just make it a normal part of our lives was we were really plugged into our church. We were very involved in our church serving being part of what was going on. And also, um, each morning before dad went to work and before we started school, we would have a family quiet time. We'd meet in the living room, mom or dad would read scripture and then they'd talk about it a little bit and we would pray together. My baby brother, Andrew, who's all grown up now, very manly, um, he was really, really sick from the time he was born for most of his life growing up. Um, they did like a ridiculous amount of tests on him to figure out what in the world was wrong. And what they found out was he isn't lactose intolerant. If he has lactose, his organs shut down. Um, It happens real fast too. And so we would rush him to the hospital um, prior to knowing what was wrong. And so once we found out, we were hyper vigilant to make sure nothing harmful came near Andrew, right? Don't eat that. And he was awesome. And listen, because he knew his life depended on it. One day, um, our church had a guest speaker come, and at the end, he gave an opportunity for people to come forward and be prayed over to be healed. And mom and dad took Andrew up, and he was prayed for. And that week, we were running errands in the car with mom, and in the back seat was like a bag of like a bunch of chips because soccer, everyone has to bring snacks sometime. And so Andrew says, he's five, mom, could I have some Cheetos? I was prayed for this weekend, and I'd really like to try them. My mom's driving, and she goes, Andrew, if you would like to try some Cheetos, you may. Yeah, I would. So I had to reach over the back seat and get that bag of Cheetos, open it up, hand it to my baby brother. P.S. They have lactose in them. (laughs) And he took one out. And he put it in his mouth, and he started chewing. And he leaned his head back in his little car seat. And he goes, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. And then he ate the rest of the bag of Cheetos. And then we did not go to the hospital. You guys, we have a generation of kids who are watching, who are listening, and who are learning. And we live in a world that wants to teach them what's most important, what will satisfy them, what should be their top priority. And the truth is, they need you and me to point them to the one who made them, who knows them, and who loves them. The God who has a purpose and a plan for their lives. There's a pastor in Washington, PA, Johnny Miller, and he said something that really stuck with me. I want my ceiling to be my kids' floor. I want the furthest I've gone with God to be where my kids and your kids and our kids in our community start from. I want them to go as far as they can with God and to walk in the fullness of what he's called them to. And it starts with you and me. Put God first and teach these kids to know God.
5: All right, well my name's Steph, I don't have an amazing Cheeto story, but um, I'm thankful that God heals. But I'm gonna talk about why we do missions and outreach. So we do missions and outreach because, quite honestly, we believe that what Jesus says really matters. The Bible says about this, about Jesus in Philippians two nine. therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. See, this Jesus is our king. This is the one who we say we follow and so we have to understand the weight of his words, the weight of scripture. And when he speaks, when this Jesus speaks, we will listen. And so he does speak in Matthew 28. I'm gonna read it to you. He says, go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We do missions and outreach at Summit because God says, Jesus says, go. And when he commands us to go, we will listen. You know, we do, we do, everything we do at, at Summit Church is done in the context of relationships. And so we go and serve at REACH. We serve local organizations to show we support you. We support what you're doing. We go and we serve the local police and our Indiana teachers and we honor them to tell them your meeting needs that we can't meet. And so we honor you and we're with you. And we go to places like Oklahoma. We go to nations around the world to serve alongside our partners, to serve their communities. And we, and we tell them, we encourage them, what you're doing in your community is making a big difference. And so we're here for you. We support you. And we're not just serving one time, feeling good about ourselves and then moving on. But we continue to serve year after year, investing into what God is doing there. And as we do, he gives us the opportunity to nurture those relationships, to foster those relationships. And because of that, God is doing incredible things. We see people come to understand his kindness. We see people come to know Jesus, our Savior. And John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So let me make this clear. Missions and outreach is not about growing Summit Church. Missions and outreach is about growing the kingdom of heaven. And at Summit, we go because Jesus says go. We go because what he says matters. But what about you? What does missions and outreach look like in your life? See, for just a moment, I want you to remember who were you before you knew him? Who were you before your relationship with God was restored? What did you seek? What did you crave? And I want to remind you what I have to remind myself. I did nothing. You did nothing to deserve or earn this relationship with him. We go out of response for what Christ has done for us. And you have specifically been given a network of relationships of people in your life. You know people that I don't know who desperately need Jesus. I know people that you don't know who desperately need a savior. And this is what God says about you and me. You are the chosen ones by God, God's instruments to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others about the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. So what does it look like for you to go right where you are in your community, with your people? Because you and I are the chosen ones. And I'm not guilting you into going on a World Reach trip, and I'm not guilting you into serving at Reach, although I would say it's probably a good idea. I'm a little biased, though. Um, but I'm asking you, what would it really look like for you to go, for you to live on mission, for you to believe that what Jesus says matters? David Platt is a pastor, and he asks, what would our lives look like if we acted like the eternal state of everybody in the world mattered? Second Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow in his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We go because the lord wants all to come to repentance. And this is God's heart towards those in, that we encounter. This is God's heart towards those in our network of relationships and it's this heart towards us. So how would you hold these relationships differently with that mindset? How would you how would you invest differently into these relationships? For the coworkers that you that you see every day, for the family members that you avoid, for the neighbors that you drive by, for the classmates in your room, for your teammates that you play with. How would you handle these relationships differently? And I encourage you to seek God for them, to serve them, to share his kindness with them, and to live like their eternal state matters. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 says, But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. See, we go because God will receive more glory. And our God deserves all the glory from all the people from all of the nations. So, my question is, will you go? Because Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And I want you to remember no matter where you go, He goes with you always to the end of the age. And I must have talked really fast because I've never had this much time left ever before.
0: (laughs) All right, Uh, I'm hungry, I need to pee. I can barely tie my shoes in six minutes, and I've got an entire sermon to give you in four points, so that's a minute and a half per point, and I'm ten seconds into my first point, so the stress is real. Uh, The stress is real. But uh, I get to talk to you for just a few minutes about why we gather. Why are we here today? Why do we do this every weekend? Why? As God's people, do we find it important to come together in a room every week and sing songs together and listen to someone talk? I mean, it really is unique to the church. We don't really do this in any other setting. So why do we do what we do today? And I want to give you four reasons that we gather each week. We gather around the person in the name of Jesus, and we do these four things. Number one, we gather to remember. We gather to remember what Jesus has done for us. We gather to tell again the story of salvation, the story of a Savior who would leave heaven, who would put on flesh and walk the earth as a man, who would lay his life down for us so that we might have the life that we could not earn on our own. We tell again that story because... Those of us who are already following Jesus need to hear again the gospel because it transforms us. It reminds us where we were and where we are and it draws us nearer to the heart of God. We are transformed as we confront the gospel of Jesus and so we remember and we tell the story afresh every week for those of us who are already following Jesus. But we also tell that story and we remember what Jesus has done for those who have not yet heard, for those who do not yet know, because we know and believe and have experienced the transformative power of the gospel. And we want every person to have an opportunity to make Jesus Lord of their life. And so every week we come together to remember what Jesus has done. Secondly, we come together to renew the covenant that we have made with God. And as a community, we come together to say, Lord, you are our God. God, and we are your people, and we have set aside this time to gather in your name, to remember what you have done, and to say afresh that our lives belong to you, that God, we are identified not by the work that we do, not by our family of origin, not by our social status, not by our economic status, we are identified as God's people. In the words of Romans, when Paul, is no, in 2 Peter, Peter says that you are, not a people, but now you are a people. And so we come together to renew the covenant. We come together to say we are the people of God. So we come together to remember what Christ has done. We come together to renew the covenant. Thirdly, we come together to rejoice in our salvation. So we sing these songs of praise to God. We open His word together and we feast on the glory of the gospel and we remember what Christ has done. And some days we do it like we did today where we We take communion together. Other weeks we come together and we celebrate life change when people who say Jesus has transformed me come into the tank of baptism and we shout and we cheer with them. Other weeks we come together and we share stories like we're sharing today about all of the things that God is doing in every area of ministry here at Summit Church and we rejoice in those things and we say thank you God that you allow us to be a part of the work that you are doing in the earth. Thank you Lord that we have been rescued out of sin and death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we now walk in life transformed. We're not baloney. We're prime rib. You know I mean? So thank you, Jesus. We rejoice. So we come together. I only got six minutes. Cut it out. We come together and we remember what Jesus has done. We come together and we renew the covenant that we have made. We come together and we rejoice in our salvation. And then we come together and fourthly, we respond to the word of God when we leave these walls. You see, what we do here is not the end goal of the church. Jesus commissioned us to go out and to make disciples of all people and of all nations. And so we come together so that we might be empowered, so that we might be enabled, so that we might go out into the world and be the hands and feet of Jesus, so that we might go out and bring the gospel to bear on the world around us, so that we might make the world better, right? I hope that Our city says we are a better city because Summit Church is here. And in sharing the love of Christ in that way, we transform the world around us as God, by his Holy Spirit, grips people's hearts and draws them to himself. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, this is Paul's encouragement to us. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must be able to forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and give thanks to the God, the Father, and I'm going to get buzzed. I can't stop. All right. Here's the point of all of that, right? We come together because it is not enough for us to just be People in a church, we come together so that we might be transformed and made into the image of Jesus, so that we might fall desperately and deeply in love with him, and so that we might transform the world around us because there is a God who loves them and who gave himself for them, and we are the people of God sent out to share that good news with everyone. One, we can, because God's heart is to see every life made different. Can you bow your heads with me this morning? God, we thank you for all of the incredible things that you allow us to be a part of for all of the incredible things that you're doing in and through Summit Church. We are humbled and we are grateful. And we are honored, Lord, that you allow us the privilege of working alongside you to see the gospel transform hearts and lives. Lord, you alone are the hope for mankind. And you've chosen in your good grace and in your wisdom to use us to do that. So Lord, we've come to this moment and Lord, we want to respond. God, I believe that right now there are people that you're speaking to They've not yet taken a step to become involved and invested in the ministries of the summit. God, I believe that there are people right now that you're speaking to that need to be investing in the lives of children, serving in our kids' ministry. There are people right now, God, that you're stirring their heart. You're giving them a heart of compassion for our students, for our teenagers, and they need to serve on Wednesday nights. God, I believe that there are people right now that you're calling to lead small groups. I believe that there are people right now, Lord, who are feeling you're stirring their hearts to go and to be on mission. So, Lord, give us hearts to respond today. Say, here am I, Lord, send me. Because Lord, we know that when we invest our lives and when we serve others, really the greater blessing is ours. Because we get to partner with you to see eternity change. So, Jesus, we surrender. We say, take, take what I have, God, and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. If you could keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute. We talked about remembering the story of Jesus, not just for those of us who already follow Jesus, but for those who who have not yet given their lives to him so that they might have an opportunity. And so maybe that's you today. And your opportunity to respond today is to simply say this, Jesus, today I want to give my life to you. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you would just raise your hand right where you're at and say, Todd, that's me. I want to give my life to God today. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you to the front or embarrass you in any way, but I want to pray with you, and I want to welcome you home today. So uh, if that's you, say, Todd, today, today's the day. I want to give my life to God. If that's you, if you just raise your hand, let me see where you're at. Just wait a few more seconds. All right, well here's what's going to happen next, guys. We're going to sing one more song together remembering what Christ has accomplished for us. I want you to do me a favor as as we sing this song, let's let's not be in a hurry, right? It's it's only a few minutes after 12. We got time. So let's not be in a hurry and let's let's take this moment to respond. Maybe God's been speaking to you and our our prayer team is going to be available on either side of the stage here and Maybe if God was speaking to you, you want somebody to pray with you so that you have the courage to take the step that you believe God is calling you to take. So I want you to do that today. All right, so can you stand and let's sing together one more time.